Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give us a call, 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. With any ideas, questions, concerns, or comments that you may have, Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, you had quite a morning. I did. So that sounded horrible. Yeah. Well, I hit a a critter, and I think it was probably a coyote on two fifty five, and it was big enough to cause some pretty good front end damage to the car that I am preparing to trade in for a new one. <laughs> Wow. And I still, there there was, I hit a raccoon in the same area, probably. I guess he should put up a sign, Critter Crossing. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so that front end still had a little bit of the damage there that was kind of cosmetic. No big deal. Well, it's more than cosmetic oh, now. God. So, yeah, it was. And then I get it to Route 3, and I'm already running 15 minutes late now. And, and the highway's closed, so I had to work around that. So I got here a little late, but, but made it in time. But, yeah, it's... Uh, and, it, you know, it happens so fast. It, you, I saw him. It was like, boom, right there. Right. And there's nothing you can do. Right. And so it, uh, it'll it wake you up, that's for sure. Well, that tell, that seems to me like a better news story than some of the other things we've talked about. <laughs> well, thank goodness <laughs> it didn't turn into one. I'm okay. Everything's right. fine. The car is drivable. I had to tie the front end away from the tire so it wouldn't rub against it, but... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was kind of interesting. Uh, well, so, great. Yeah, well, thanks. Weekend Sorry. will get better from here. <laughs> you hope. I hope. <laughs> and a cold morning to get out and try to do something like that. Yeah, it was pretty though. The stars were beautiful this morning, and I did. You know, I I do that when I leave the house. I always turn off the patio lights and look up to see, and it was just gorgeous. Which, if I hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have been there at the same time as the critter. That's true. Uh, but. but while I was fixing the car, I took a moment to look up and go, uh. why? <laughs> but it was pretty. Oh, great. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> it is Saturday morning, folks, and we get together and we have a discussion about what's going on in your landscape and what do you need to do. Should you be doing this? Should you be doing that? The temperatures are dropping. How are your houseplants doing? Should you get them inside quickly? And uh, when you bring them inside, should you put them in a bigger pot or put them in a smaller pot or stop watering or what should you do? Should you think about improving your soil because you're not really happy with the way things are growing in one particular area? Is there time to still do some pruning and shearing and things like that? 
Is there still bugs and insects that damage your plant material? Well, use the information that I'll share with you, and uh, hopefully it'll help you orchestrate a a solidifying option with your final judgment going to be on your shoulders, of course. And this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me over. Alex is producing again today. He answers the phone. He just needs your first name when you call, and uh, he pushes all the buttons and everything else, so he has a lot of responsibilities. And I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like. I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. The rest of my website's kind of, ooh, I've kind of let it melt away or wilt, I guess. It doesn't melt, it wilts. But anyway, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I was thinking, uh, let's see. Something that's kind of unusual. So I decided to go to the zoo parking area, which is on the across from the zoo, across 4064. And uh, it was where a hospital used to be. And now it is a really kind of interesting concept. I guess this, the actual garage that's there probably was, may have been related to the hospital. I'm not exactly sure what it is. But anyway, there's a huge grassy field, and it's a pollinator you know, project, and it's surrounded by ornamental grasses, a lot of maiden grasses and a lot of uh, feather reed grasses, too. And uh, there's some really kind of interesting oaks that they have as street trees along there on the, let's say, I guess that would be on the north side of the street, Berthold Avenue, and they're fastigated oaks. So, in other words, they grow really narrow, and so they're really great for street trees as far as you don't have to worry about street uh, street sweepers or trucks or anything, you know, breaking the branches off. And, uh, I mean, they grow straight up. They're really kind of cool looking. And uh, then there's a multi-level garage that I was talking about. But there's parking lots on each end uh, on the north side, or I guess on the east side and the west side both. Uh, the one on the west side is called the, the Polar Bear Parking Lot. And the Polar Bear parking lot's for employees only. There's no shuttle. And along there, though, there there was one maple that was so colorful, I was just like, it kind of almost took my breath away. And some of them were there, and they showed no color at all yet. There's also yews and crab apples at the base of the garage. And there's some well-budded, there was one really well-budded dogwood, about 12-inch caliper. It had buds for next year ready to go. And it had the fruits from this year where the flowers had been pollinated. So that was kind of interesting to see. There's some cone flowers there, but the cone flower petals are gone, obviously. So just the seed heads there are saying, well, if any of you finches want any kind of you know seed, why don't you just stop by? The east parking lot is named the Butterfly Lot. And the sign says, tall parking for a vehicle six feet, six inches or taller. I thought that's kind of interesting. And then surrounding this parking area, there's lots of Fitzers and various Junipers. So it was kind of interesting to see, you know, I don't. I guess there's a shuttle that goes across there. I'm, I never see one, but I don't know exactly how that whole thing works. And, you know, I guess the zoo just wanted to jump across the road, be 40, 64, and take care of this land because it was close enough to them that they could possibly do something with it. And they have done something with it, obviously, with this pollinator project, but 
most of it just kind of wide open grass spaces, and that's really kind of neat. So it's really rather, you know, kind of fun to do and fun to see. I hadn't stopped by. I kept thinking, well, I should take a good gardening stroll there sometime. So I thought today would be a good day to do that. So anyway, if you have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Talking about still pests and bugs and things like that, I have a mandevilla vine that I'm growing by our back, near our, let's say, screen-in porch and everything else by the back door. And uh, I keep getting these aphids, you know, on it, yellow aphids, and I, you know, I take care of them, and I think, okay, that problem's gone. But then a couple weeks later, I see there's some more. So obviously, I'm missing some of them, and uh, it drives me nuts. So (laughs) anyway, there's still a lot of insects out there that can be doing some damage. And uh, especially like a mandevilla, you have the option of bringing that in as a houseplant. I don't do that myself. I just use it as a colorful annual because I like the red flowers and everything else, and that's really perfect. But those aphids are driving me nuts. They're the yellow aphids. So, I mean, and there are th- hundreds of them, you know, on each sort of the end of each stem. They only go to the new growth because it's very easy for them to feed off of. They drive their proboscis in there and then take a, a nice suck sap of it. So, anyway, let's head over to Mike's yard. Uh, no, Mike, let's go over to Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. How you doing this morning, sir? Very good. How are you? I just got a couple questions for you. Uh, when does it be a good time to uh, cut your hostas plants back, and when when is a good time to split them? And then I also got a grass plant that's growing in my front yard, you know, the like the ornamental grass. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it gets kind of tall. When would be a good time to cut that back? Basically with a hosta, as soon as, you know, we're past their, they're past their prime as far as anything else goes. Aesthetically, as soon as they start declining, then you can cut them back. So the aesthetics is on your on your shoulders. I have some I haven't cut back yet, but because uh, they're I mean the foliage still looks good on mine. But if you got some that the foliage is starting to show some, let's say decline due to hibernation where they're headed, then you can cut it back at this time. And you can cut it back now if you want to, regardless of how it looks. It's strictly up to you. And as far as okay. digging and dividing, this is the perfect time to do it. Okay, and now as far as that grass plant, leave that go till you know to start turning brown. Or well, you can do that. Uh, what I do is, depending upon the variety, I like to put bungee cords around them as it gets towards the end of the season. That way, when I cut them, I don't have all these blades laying all over the place that I have to pick up. And if gotcha. you put a bungee cord around it, use a hedge trimmer and just cut it off. I don't know what variety it is, but you want to leave about uh, four to six inches of stem, uh, you know, where you cut it off. And consequently, uh-huh. then you got a sort of one big bundle that you can get rid of. Yeah, because it was here when I moved into the house. It's it's, it's a green. It's kind of tall. It's about four foot tall. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's green and it's got like the wheat, like top on the top, at the right. very tops of it. Yeah, it's, you know maybe a, a maiden grass. It's you know it's tough to tough to say without actually seeing it. But also uh, watch out with the ornamental grasses too. They have a, they're clump growers, so they have a tendency to migrate away from where they originally were planted. Then the center of it is dead. So after a few more years, you, you know, you may have to 
like dig it up, chop out the center of it, which no longer is producing any blades, get rid of mm-hmm. that, and then replant the, the perimeter. Okay, no. Well, thank you, sir. Sure, my pleasure. And let's go from Mark's yard over to Peggy's yard. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Mr. Miller. Thanks for taking my call. I have um, two questions. First of all, I took a cutting from uh, a friend of mine's coleus uh, plant, and Mm -hmm. I planted it in a pot because the place I want to plant it outside has some other stuff that I haven't taken down yet. Um, I guess my question is, should I bring that inside for the winter and then transplant it in the spring, or if I cut down the stuff I want to replace, can I plant it now in the ground. Well, if you put it in the ground, it won't be there to in the springtime. It's not a hardy type plant. So it's strictly okay. a tropical slash annual type thing grown for its foliage color. So you could... Okay, so this is not a perennial then because it's like no. a variegated... No, oh. No. Okay. Okay. And my second question is um, when should uh, we cut down the uh, daylilies? Again, it's kind of like I was talking with the gentleman on the uh, about the hosta. When we the season starts going on and on and on, consequently, once they start aesthetically losing their value to you, they've already finished mm-hmm. flowering. They're probably starting to look uh, looking a little bit pale, maybe not yellowish yet, but just pale green or paler green. You can mm-hmm. come back down at that time. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. And let's head over to Gene's yard now. Hi, Gene. Hey, Mike. Got two questions for you um, about uh, flowering hibiscus that I purchased earlier this year and a fungus problem with my grass. So first, the flowering hibiscus, I bought at a local garden store, and it's done very well. It's been potted. Is that worth bringing inside and trying to save for next year? And then the second question I have for you is um, I had – basically my whole yard killed off last fall uh planted it uh came back the grass came back great this 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 spring and summer and then i lost about a third of my yard to fungus maybe a month or so ago when do you advise i put some fungicide down but i don't know should i go ahead and put fungicide down again and then plant some seed or how would you advise so i avoid that problem uh, next year. As a season gets, let's say, closer and closer to really cool weather like this morning, the fungicides are really not going to do anything at all. So I wouldn't bother doing that. If you want to get some overseeding done, you're going to have to do it pretty quick because the ground is still warm. So it will still probably germinate and have a chance to drive its root system into the ground deep enough in case we have a really harsh cold snap early on. So I would skip the fungicide for now and do the overseeding if you like. And then next year, with the knowledge that you have that you've had a fungus problem, make sure that you put the fungicide down before you start to see it. So in other words, anticipate that it's going to be there. Kind of try to remember when you saw it in the first place this year and then put you know, put the fungicide down and then put it down about every two to three weeks for about three sequences. Okay. Okay. And the hibiscus, is it worth bringing it in to try to save the tree for next year? It's personal because a lot of people bring them in, but they hate them because once they're inside, they start dropping leaves. And they may flower some, but they're not going to flower greatly. And this is even if they have them under grow lights 
where they have them in front of a bright bay window type thing. So the inside, they're not really all that great as far as, you know, aesthetics. And so it's a personal yeah. call. You can give it a try. You might have good luck with it and not have the problems that 99.9% .9 of the people do. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks a lot. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to Shirley's yard. Hi, Shirley. Hi. Good morning. I have um, Dippendinia's um, flowers that are just gorgeous. I get them every year. Um, are those plants uh, able to be brought in during the winter? You could try it and bring it in and see what happens. Okay. I was just curious because they're just flourishing. I, I may, they just love the sun. Right. And they're just amazing. They're the only plant I, I can't kill. So... <laughs> The thing is, you know, so, when you bring anything inside, it's a tr right. traumatic difference. Now, they are they in the ground or in pots? No, they're in pots. Oh, well, that helps somewhat because if they're in the ground, you're going to try to dig them up and move them inside. I'd say, Ew, I wouldn't bother right. doing it. But, uh, no. yeah, give it a try and see. You know, you may have some luck with it. You may not. You'll know probably within before the the end of the year how they look, that, they, yeah. you know, it's going to be successful or not. And what about lavender? Uh, so that's the same kind of thing with that. In theory, it should be able to make that transition inside, but also, in theory, it should be hardy enough to stay outside. But if it's in a oh, pot, okay. depending upon how large the pot is, if the pot is relatively small, so in other words, 6, 8, or 10 inches across, it may not be enough insulation with the potting mix for the root system. Now, if I keep it outside, should I cover it or not? Or no, don't cover it. But what you should do is dig a hole and just drop the pot down into a hole and just leave the top edge of the pot, you know, higher than the surrounding ground of where you're putting it into. That would be probably the best thing to do. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And let's see. We got another call just coming in. And uh, Jason, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Mike. I'm doing well. I hope uh, I'm not asking the same question as the previous caller, but I just got to the show this morning. I have a lot of ferns that have been hanging out in uh, planting, you know, containers hanging on the front of my porch and uh, some, some flowers as well. Is there any chance of bringing those inside? And, and uh, you know, it's probably a couple hundred dollars worth of ferns on the front and back porch trying to save them. Uh, I've got some lights. Yeah, you give it a try, but uh, d don't expect them to look anything like they do while they're outside. They're going to really kind of go downhill. A lot of the fronds are going to lose, you know, the little leaflets that they have. And I don't know specifically what type, if you have rabbit's foot fern or if you have Boston fern or whatever kind you ha happen to have. It's a Costco fern. Okay. <laughs> and should I cut it back? Uh no, don't cut it back. I mean, that's going to make that's going to be a waste of time because, I mean, recovery from that is going to be minimal at best. So I'd say give it a try, bring them in, and see what you think. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. But yeah, anything you must have a lot of space too because I don't know uh, the ferns are going to be big, and if they overlap each other when you have them underneath the grow lights, then they're going to overshadow each other's fronds. And so they're going to be battling each other for, let's say, survivability, plus just the fact that they're inside. The environment's entirely different, so just be conscious of that. 
436-7900-1800-925-1120. Have some phone lines open, so give us a call. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and we're headed to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Oh, hi, Mike. Hi. Glad to get on so soon. Um, I wanted to talk to the guy who um, was trying to deal with those, I think they're Boston ferns, and I actually put mine uh, in a window. I don't know if he would have this opportunity, but part of our basement's not finished, and I put them in a window, um, you know, up up in the rafters like mm-hmm. i have nails that hang down so the basket hanging basket they're in um you know just hangs in the window right gets them quite a bit of sun it's like an east side of the house but i actually did cut them back because they will pretty well turn brown you know during the winter right and there's so much mess like constant all that stuff falling down it's just a concrete floor but it's still a lot of mess to clean up and i had just as much luck cutting them back because i just was so tired of all the mess. They actually hung a geranium up there too. I never had luck with just hanging them, you know, by the roots and all that. And it was funny because the side toward the window absolutely came out beautiful, and the other side died. I didn't turn it often enough, but that's another thing you have to turn them, sure. you know, occasionally. And watered. I probably watered the ferns about once a week too, not a huge amount, but I had really good luck cutting them back. So I just wanted to add that in. Okay. Because they are so messy. Yeah. And And I don't know. He's going to try to. Okay. Yeah. He's going to try to grow his under grow lights, you know, instead of a Mm -hmm. window. So that's why I was curious how many grow lights he had because it sounded like he had a lot of ferns and they get so huge by the end of the growing season, even regardless of what size, when you buy them, that uh, that was going to take up a lot of space. And you talk about a mess. Yeah. So cutting, cutting them back didn't affect mine at all. I mean, they came out really beautiful. And I mean, it takes a while, obviously, you know, in the spring, you can even like ride them and stuff. You can take like a knife and just a serrated knife and cut because it's really hard to get through all those roots and everything. Right. And put them in new potting soil and make more ferns. But my aunt taught me that, you know, a long time ago. But anyway, they do okay with cutting them back to eliminate some of that mess. Well, great. Well, thanks. Yeah. Sure. Joe, thank you. Love it. Yeah, well, great. Thank you for giving us some help. And uh, now let's head over to Andy's yard. Hi, Andy. Hello, Andy. You're Hi, there. Um, Hi. I have a question. Uh, moles are ruining my lawn and ruin, ruining my flowers. We've got several of them, but uh, do you know how to get rid of them forever? I didn't understand what's ruining your shrub, what's ruining your stuff. Hello, Andy? Yeah. Wait a second. We're got Ruining. Oh, sorry. We get we got you cut off. I'm sorry. I didn't understand what's going out, causing your problems. The moles. Oh, the moles. Well, basically, I mean, they are problematic from a couple different standpoints. And the only thing, I mean, there's, there's a type of uh, killer that you can use which you injected into the surface mole tunnels, and that's the one that they use to find earthworms. They have two series of tunnels, one that's about foot, a foot to 18 inches deeper. That's their sort of highway. The one at the surface is more or less their, their food line, and they main, the main thing that they eat is earthworms. 
And what you do is you get this product. You can go to your favorite garden center and see if they have it. And you inject it into the mole tunnels, but it has to be tunnels that are used recently. And so consequently, what they do is they come along. It smells like earthworms. They eat it, and it kills them. But the one that, you know, the way that works the most successful from my perspective through all the years of going after them when I worked at the Botanical Garden and other places as well has been just the traps. And if you've got kids or dogs, what you have to do is you set the traps and then you just put a bucket over the top of them, and that keeps anybody from, you know, having a chance of triggering it or, you know, getting hurt by the trap. But we have several of them out there, and we keep on getting them. We have traps, and we keep on getting them. You have to move, you know, you have to move the traps, I mean, on a regular basis and put it where, the, you know, they're most active. But, yeah, your yard, if you have a nice yard, you're going to have a lot of earthworms. And the chance of having more than one or two moles is going to certainly increase with that. So, But the traps are about the only thing you can do. I mean, some people say put mothballs in this and that. But the things, you know, like I said, that sort of stuff you inject into the tunnels or the traps are the only thing that I have seen personally that have been effective as getting them under control. But it's going to take a while. You're not going to get rid of them really quick because when they have the babies, the babies will generally stay kind of for quite a while after they're born and they become tunnelers. And in other words, they age. Then they're going to kind of stay in that, you know, that same area, maybe move a yard or two away. But that's once you got them, it's going to be a battle. There's no getting around it. Now, there are professional yeah, services that will come out and set the traps for you and do all that. How much they cost, I don't have any, you know, any kind of idea. Yeah, like they're spreading to our neighbors' houses and everything. Sure. And, I mean, that's, they, I mean, they, they're going, what they do is when they're tunneling around, they have really sensitive ears and they can hear earthworms tunneling through the ground. And that's what sends their tunnels the direction they're going. That's why they go that direction is because there is food, there's an earthworm, I hear it, that's where I'm moving to. Well, thank you. Sure. Yeah, it's not It's not going to be an easy project, but again, you have to have a nice yard or you don't have any moles. There's no getting around it because they wouldn't, there's no earthworms and moles are not going to be there or they're not going to stay there if they happen to be there. And let's go now to Eve's yard. Hi, Eve. Hello, I would like, I have two questions. One is, when do you fertilize your lilac bush? And the other question is, I have a shrimp plant, and it's got beautiful yellow blooms, and I have to bring it in because it's tropical, and what fertilizer do I use on that? When you, when you bring it inside, don't fertilize it at all as the days get shorter and shorter and shorter. But next year, when we get about Valentine's Day, that's the time when you want to start fertilizing again. But don't expect it to be, you know, keeping those nice blooms on it through the entire winter time. So it may work. It may stay. But the chances are they're not going to. But just keep it healthy. Don't overwater it. And de- definitely don't fertilize it because you don't want to force any kind of growth as, these, as the days get shorter and shorter and shorter. And the, okay, lilacs, and the lilac bush, when do I fertilize that? Basically, in the springtime, when you start to see the leaves come out, that's the time when you want to fertilize. And they like an alkaline soil, so you want to get a fertilizer 
You don't want to get an acid-based fertilizer. You want to get just a regular type fertilizer and uh, do that. And also, if, it, if they're healthy and looking good, that's fine. If, it, if they kind of look a little bit weak, then maybe think about getting a handful of lime and sprinkling around the base of them because that's what the kind of soil that they like. But if it looks okay, good, don't put the lime. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. And so, uh, yeah, the lilacs, it's best to wait. Definitely you don't want to fertilize them this time of year. But the flower buds are being set right now for next spring. So when the foliage starts coming out, that's right before it starts blooming. And that's the time when you want to fertilize. And sequentially do about once a month for three months. So it would probably be March, April, May for the, for the lilac fertilizing. And uh, Letty, how are you today? Hello, are you there? Yes. Oh, okay. I got a couple of questions. I got about an acre in my front yard, and I got these big blotches of a weed, and I assumed, <clears throat> excuse me, I figured it was a <clears throat> crabgrass. So I went to Farmer Service, and I bought this Drive XLR8, and I sprayed my whole front yard, and it looks like the it was crabgrass, but it was big Low to the ground, great big blotches. I never had it before. Are you there? Uh-huh. Okay, I keep hearing a beep. Anyway, um, what I want to know, if I should I put a herbicide down now, or do I wait and do that in the spring? And how in the world am I going to get grass seed to grow in them spots? <laughs> this time of year, I don't know. It's getting kind of late. But with the, you know, with the crabgrass... Basically, it's a warm season grass, warm season annual weed. So at the end of the season, it's going to die. When the weather starts getting colder and colder, it's going to die off on its own. So next year, go to your favorite garden center and get a pre-emergent. And you want to spread the pre-emergent when the forsythia, which is a yellow flowering shrub that blooms in the springtime, is in bloom. So that's when you put the pre-emergent down. That's probably the best control. And even though you've killed it off now, it's probably been dropping some seed, and that's what's going to come up next year. Well, then how do I get grass seed to grow there? Uh, you you cannot put a pre-emergent down if you put the seed down. So that's, I mean, that's a kind of a choice you make. You still, again, I, I don't know exactly what the weather is. We're kind of getting at the end or the cusp of the end of the time to get your grass seed down, get it to germinate, get it to have a root system that's going to be able to penetrate into the ground enough to make it hardy so it can hold on. Because when the ground starts freezing, freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing, that's what heaves newly installed or newly germinated plants like a lawn seed or any kind of seed. So that's if you're going to do it, do it as quickly as you possibly can. Well, do I just throw it on top of where that crabgrass was? Yeah, just you know, rake the area first. And then put the seed down. Okay, because that'll tear it up. Some. Yes. And then throw the grass seed down. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll try. Okay. It's going to be a lot Alrighty. of work. I know. I don't know how in the world. I worked on my lawn a lot, and now all of a sudden I got these big blotches of junk in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you very much, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller. Okay. Kent. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX.
Yes, folks, you can head to your favorite garden center or why not go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website if you've got a mole problem and see what they recommend for mole control. So there's lots of different other products out there. I usually, for the most part, speak of things that I have personal experience with. So if there's other products out there that have proven successful and you want to give them a try, you may have great success with them. It's just not something that I have necessarily tried. So anyway, let's head over to Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. Morning, Mike. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> I always uh, take my green tomatoes at the end of the season and put them in brown bags. Right. Um, close them up and let them ripen for me. Uh-huh. But I've never really paid attention as to when do they quit ripening on the vine? Is it the temperature, the sunlight, a combination of both? Yeah, it's really... As soon as, let's say, as soon as the plant starts sort of declining, and that's usually related to the day, you know, the length of daylight, and it could be temperature-wise, except, you know, temperature-wise is not all that important. It's the length of the days. And so as the days start getting shorter and, you know, I mean, the the mornings, I mean, the sun comes up, yes, but it's a lot later than it was, and it's, you know, the sun goes down a lot earlier, too. So consequently, the tomato goes, ooh, and that's when it heads downhill. Really? You have talking tomatoes? Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. I'd like to get some of those. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Sure. Yeah, my tomatoes, when you take a look at them, if they're kind of headed towards the end of the season, they go, oh, I don't want to go. But uh, there's a gentleman up the street from me that lives on Federer, and he does a wonderful job of growing tomatoes. I mean, he has huge tomatoes and uh they're, I mean, it's just regardless of how healthy they are and everything else, they're still related to that length of daylight. So anyway, let's head over to Mary Ann's yard. Hi, Mary Ann. Uh, yes. Um, hi, Mike. Hi. I have a question about uh, black-eyed Susans. And last year they got uh, the black spots on the leaves. And the, they went ahead and flowered, and the flowers were okay. And, but the, you know, eventually the leaves got all black. So I pulled them all out and I put fresh ones in this spring. And now, um, you know, it's the end of summerish and now the leaves are getting that black spot again. And I, I know eventually, I mean, they still flowered, but I, I think eventually it's, what you know? What can I do to fix this? If, you know, it's tough to say what it actually is because usually those plants are pretty tough and durable, and they don't have really fungus problems. But maybe it's air circulation, maybe it's humidity, maybe the soil temperature is a little bit, or not temperature, but the soil moisture level is a little bit too high, and so that may be the cause of it. So the humidity factor, along with those, that's you know what I would be you mm. know, concerned with. But I would, you know, to be honest with you, I would say just don't look at the foliage as long as they're flowering and the the clump is getting bigger and bigger. Uh, there's not really too too much. I mean, to do the fungicide and stuff like that, it's going to be a hit and miss as far as being able to get it under control. So just wa- you know, watch early on in the season when you start first start seeing them on the first, let's say, few leaves. Then maybe go to your favorite garden center and tell them you have you know a fungus or a fungus on your black-eyed Susans, and consequently see mm-hmm. what they have, what they would recommend for, you know, helping you get that oh. under control. Okay, so something like seven is not 
that's what I I use, tried to use some of that. that no, powdered. That's, a, that's um, an insecticide. That's not a fungicide. So that oh. has nothing to do <laughs> that with won't it. Help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you so just some kind of fungicide. How about right. neem oil? Uh, Is neem oil a fungicide? Uh, I think that's an insecticide too. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, no wonder I'm not helping them. Okay, well, just kind of leave them on their own and. Yeah, I mean, as long the as they're healthy, okay. and like I said, the clumps getting bigger, it's uh, mm-hmm. probably related. And maybe you know, if you wanted to, the next time you get fed up with them, just you know, you pull them up and get rid of them. Maybe improve your soil, improve the soil drainage, and things like that by adding some compost to it to elevate the bed space a little. Oh, okay. Okay, well, okay, thanks for your help. Sure. And, Ron, can you do it a little quickly? Yes, are you there? Yes. Okay, real quickly, it's a garden question with zucchini. I had planted zucchinis this year, had the best harvest I've ever had, but, of course, at the end of the season, those, I call them zucchini bugs, I don't know what they really are, they came on, I dusted, they basically just ate the dust. (laughs) Uh, I've pulled things out now. Is there anything I can put in the ground that might kill if there's eggs or any bugs under the ground? Uh, Not really. I mean, nothing's going to, nothing's going to, especially on, you know, a situation where you have, you're talking about edible type stuff. So I would just churn the soil, you know, rototill it. I don't know if you do that normally in the fall after you pull all your plant material out. That helps expose any kind of larvae, any kind of eggs or things like that to the cold weather. That's probably going to be the best effective control to, to help you more so than doing anything else. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And we do have another hour of the Garden Hotline as far as I know. So if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or one 1120 See you after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it's the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, Yo. it was pretty cool this morning. Yes. So how is the fall color in your neighborhood and everything? Not much yet. Really? Uh, we've got a couple trees in the back there that are, and one of them's been changing for about a month now. It's kind of yellowish and right. pretty, but um, it's pretty slow right now. It's pretty interesting to think we're in mid-April, or mid-April. Mid-April, Mid- I wish. <laughs> Mid-October. Six months from now. Yeah, yeah mid-October. But anyway... To think that there's so many trees that have no color at all yet. This is the time of year it's supposed to be changing. Right. It should right have about been now. almost changed. Yes. And really, by the end of this month, Halloween, that's when the majority of the leaves have already fallen. Yeah. But so, no, we it hasn't done much at all. Right. Matter of fact, I cleaned out the gutters the other day, and it was all the old stuff. <laughs> None of the new stuff yet. So, yeah, it's a slow change, I guess. You know, it gets warmer, and I guess that's what, you know keeps it around longer. Right. So how's the garden doing? 
Very well. It just looks nice and, and fallish. We've transplanted a few things. We have some black-eyed Susans that just, you know, how big they get. Sure. So we moved them along the fence row, and I tilled along the fence row and planted those. All right. And uh, they seem to be doing okay as they're getting used to their new home. And uh, we still got some work to do, but we're getting there. All right. Sounds yeah. perfect. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Yes, and by the way, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs of annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone. He just needs your first name. And guess what? He also pushes all kinds of buttons, so he's got to be multi-talented. There's no getting around it. During the week, I spend my time doing consultations and on the weekends, too, which I call a walk and talk. We can talk aesthetic problems, solving, and things like that. This coming up week, I'm headed over towards O'Fallon, Illinois, and going to take a look at that yard over there. Actually, uh, near St. Nicholas, is there St. Nicholas? I think is a St. Nicholas Drive. But anyway, so you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and the homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is. And I'll come to your home, and we can schedule a time after we schedule the time, of course. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to Brightside St. Louis. Brightside St. Louis started in 1982. It actually started as Operation Brightside, and their mission from the beginning has always been to improve the quality of life in this community with education, engaging, inspiring. And, you know, it's just uh, the whole thing is to make St. Louisans that inspired to kind of get things a little bit cleaner and greener, environmentally sustainable. So Brightside St. Louis, phone number is 314 772-4646. They need volunteers. They work on getting graffiti off buildings. They work on all kinds of different things, plantings and things along that line throughout the entire metropolitan area. And their email address is info at brightsidestl.org. And you can visit their demonstration garden at 4646 Shenandoah. You go, well, where in the world is that? Well, it's kind of where... Uh, Vandevenner, Shenandoah, Kings Highway, and Southwest all meet. And it's really across the street from a city library, too. It's a really unique garden space. has giant sculptures, metal sculptures of butterflies, and actually purple comb flowers, too. And also, Brightside St. Louis, today after the show, I'm headed to Forest Park to the greenhouses. And the greenhouses is where they give out the bulbs that you buy from them. So every year they sell daffodils, they sell tulips, and all kinds of different things. A lot of times I have them delivered, but this year I decided to go ahead and just go by the greenhouse there at Forest Park. is really right on the Highway 4064, and you know pick up my bulbs there. I'm getting bright side reds this year. Usually I get some daffodils as well, but I have lots of daffodils already, so I just thought I'd just get some tulips for this year. And I grow them in pots over the wintertime, and what I do is I kind of treat them like annuals. At the end of the bloom season next year, I just kind of uh, compost them. So I could let them go, but I decided I'll just get new ones. They're more invigorating, 
you know, personally for me, but you don't have to do that. Tulips will last for a few years. Daffodils will last for six or eight years, maybe 10 years. The tulips will last for about two or three years, and then they'll kind of exhaust themselves. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's see if we can get a call in before break. Carla, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Hi. My question is something you said a couple of weeks ago really threw me. So I live in a cul-de-sac in Wildwood, and we have deer. And I redid all the front bushes about four years ago, and I chose hollies for the corner of the house. They're supposed to grow to eight feet. They've grown one inch. (laughs) You said something about male and female, and the good landscaping company I went to, nursery, sold me two with berries. So is that the problem? And is it too late to fix it? You mean the problem as far as the, the berries or the females, the ones that have berries on them? But you have yeah, to. Yeah, they're both females. Okay, so you and have to. Not, it's not growing. They're not growing at all. Uh, just maybe acclimation. So, how long have they been in the ground? Four years. Yeah, that's a kind of a. Are you fertilizing? Well, once, but uh, I had redone the bed dirt really well. Yeah, well, that's fine, but you still should fertilize too because. They're, I mean, they're not native to here at all, so I'm assuming these, you know, and so get some fertilizer for acid-loving plants. Okay. And are, is, Should I buy one without berries? Uh, you can if you want to have a male. And what I do, what I recommend when I, you know, give advice or do designs or whatever, is I get a small male, and I usually plant it right next to one of the females. So yeah. that way when they grow— it's going to be able to pollinate the, the, any of the females that are around, but you don't have one that just you go, wonder why, or people say, wonder why this one never doesn't have any berries. You don't have to explain to them. That way <laughs> the, the, the female just kind of hides the fact that the male is right next to it. Okay. I'll do that. Now this other corner, I'm going to pull it out. It's a problem corner. It places the north. There's a house to the next to it, but there's a tunnel there of the cold winter wind. And I need a bush that's not too big that would be pretty to frame that corner by the garage. What do you think? Uh, how, how big is too big? Mm, five feet. Uh, hmm. You want something that's evergreen or you want something, probably if you want something just tough and durable, I'd just go with the use. Are you okay? I mean, like the Densiformis U is is going to get a little bit too big. If you get the Nigra U, that's going to be a little bit smaller. Or if you want something that's going to get about two or three feet, maybe a cluster of three, like Globe Arborvitae. So that's another evergreen. Okay. I don't mind height. I just can't have width. Right. Because, yeah. So, I mean, any of these, you know, are... I mean, the globe arborvitae take no pruning whatsoever. And okay. uh, the the ewes will take a little bit of pruning, but the the Nordic well, is not a real aggressive, fast grower or anything like that, along that line. Or what All you right. might think. Thank you, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Joyce's yard. Hi, Joyce. 
Hi, how are you today? Very good. Good. Hey, I have a question about mandevillas. Uh-huh. I have a yellow pink one that are in pots outside, and I want to bring them indoors to try to save them for next year. What do I need to do? Basically, or is that even a good idea? Yeah, check them out for any kind of insects that they may have. You can get some insecticidal soap or, you know, and uh, or and I would spray the underside of leaves, spray all the stems and everything else. And just I don't know how tall or how, you know, how long they've gotten, but uh, I'm assuming they're on a trellis or something to hold them up. And hopefully that yeah. trellis is in the pot and you can move it all together and just, you know, bring them in and. They're not really great house plants, but they're really kind of fun, at least for the first couple of months. Then when we start getting into January, they kind of go downhill, but they don't die. It's just aesthetically they kind of lose their value. So do you think it's successful for the winter and then taking them out there in the spring again? Yeah, you can do pot? Usually what, you know, I've done it like two years I did it with them. And when I, they, and so I explained to you what, you know, my experience was in those two years. Then when I t- move them outside, I cut them back to about half the size of whatever they are. And then they start regenerating new growth at that time. And I start fertilizing as soon as I take them out. So don't cut them back now at all. No, I wouldn't, you know, just leave them alone just to see if they can acclimate. Because really the plants need leaves because leaves make food. And if you reduce the amount of leaves, then, you know, it could be problems. Because you can always cut them back if you need to. You know, if you cut them back ahead of time, it may cause some of the leaves that are existing that have stayed that were not cut off to fall off. Okay, great. I appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. And let's see now. Carolyn, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. How are you, Mike? Very good. Good. Uh, I have the, uh, the lady before me just, uh, and you answered my question about the Mandeville. One question, though, would be uh, should they be sitting in a, a window with a lot of sunlight or would a basement area be okay with light? Uh, with grow lights, that's fine. Or with, you know, in front of a, a bright window, but usually because they're so elongated because they're vines, it's hard to put, unless you've got like a, a walkout basement or something that has sliding glass doors, there may not be enough light for them. Mm-hmm. So unless well, we've got the sliding glass doors, but it faces the west, and we, for some reason, we still don't get very much sun in that area until late in the afternoon. Well, that's okay. There's still going to, even though there's not direct sun coming in, the wind mm-hmm. is still going to be, you know, bright light. Great. So great. I would give them a try there. Okay. And one other question is, uh, Iris, I. This is the third year. The first year didn't bloom, of course, and the second year no blooms. This year. Right now, they are they are blooming, <laughs> and I don't know what to do. <laughs> Basically, just appreciate the fact you got the iris that are blooming this time of year. So, do you okay. know are are they the regular bearded iris, or are they Siberian? Or are they what kind of? I iris? believe they're the regular bearded. I was going to look look my tag up, and I didn't. But okay. I, I really think that's what they are. I did get them in a greenhouse, but. Mm, I, my husband says, come and look. These crazy things are blooming, and there's buds all over with more to come. Wow. That's great. And I don't know when to cut them back. Basically, wait till they finish flowering. By that time, the foliage will probably already start turning brownish, and then cut mm-hmm. it back at that time. Okie doke. Okay. Well, thank you for your time. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Zach's yard. Hi, Zach. 
Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, my wife and I, we bought a house about two years ago in Holly Hills, not too far from where you live. Ah. Um, and we have a, uh, we have a stone porch on the front and in the flower bed in front of the stone porch is like a 10 foot red bud tree, but it's like six inches from the, uh, porch. Is that too close? My wife thinks it's too close. That's pretty close. That's, uh. It sounds like a tree that was, you know, the seed blew in on its own or or dropped by some bird or something. As opposed, hopefully somebody didn't plant it that close to the porch. You know, it's it can be problematic. Red buds are pretty friendly to rocky circumstances because you see them growing on rocky bluffs and things like that. But uh, you know, it's situation a little bit different where you've got a porch. Its root system may push, you know, you know, kind of the underside of the porch a little bit the stuff that's below ground just a few inches and it could cause problems from that standpoint. Right. It's like one of the, like underneath the porch is where the coal room is. So it's like a, I mean, it's big, you know, it's big stone foundation. Right. I was just, we're just worried if it's going to damage the foundation. Right. It could certainly do that. But uh, you know, if, if I was going to have any tree that ridiculously close, which that is ridiculously close, it'd probably be, I'd choose something like a red bud, which has a fairly, friendly root system when it comes to that kind of situation. Okay. All right. Well, we'll probably, I guess, get rid of it then. Yeah, that's what I would do. It's a pretty tree, so I like how it looks. You know, it's like on the corner, so I mean, a corner of the house, so it looks like it's supposed to be there. I think maybe they did put it there. But that's... Yeah, if it's... Sorry, continue. Oh, go ahead. But if you're going to, I mean, if you go ahead and take that one out... Wait for a year or two, and you could always put one out, you know, five or six feet from where this one is if you've got that's, you know, that much space on that side of the house. Right. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Yep. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I cannot figure out why people plant things so close to houses, whether it's foundation-wise or anything else, or just, you know, up close, you know, to the house where there's windows. So when the th- plants grow and they do get taller, so they're visible from the inside of the house out the windows because that's a shaded side. They don't have any leaves. They don't have any needles. They don't have anything. So it just looks like really not so good. Let's go now over to Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, My situation is last year in the end of fall there, I bought some of the hibiscus because they were on sale and stuff and I planted them. They look terrible in the spring and Listening to your show, you said, leave them go until about mid-May, late May, and see what happens. And so I did. And those things grew four, five, six feet with real nice flowers and everything. So I'm glad I listened. But now I am putting a garage where those uh, hibiscuses are. <laughs> and I <clears throat> I had to dig them up. So I dug them up and put them in five-gallon buckets, left everything intact. You know, they're four and five foot tall. Are these things going to survive, or should I just throw them away? Should I plant them now, or should I put them in a garage? Or this is the what ideal. do I do? Yeah, the, the ground is warm still, so this is the ideal time to plant any kind of shrubs. So I would say get them in the ground if you've got a location where you're going to put them, as long as it's not going to be impacted by the you know construction of your garage. Yeah, see, they might be. So mm-hmm. I was hoping to leave them in the buckets till till spring, or you know, right. So, but I don't know if they're going to survive, though. Yeah, you could. I wouldn't leave them necessarily sitting up above the ground. If you've got a spot, if you're going to do that, then I'd probably get some mulch and pile it up along the sides of the you know, of the pots, and either okay. that or if you've got a space where you can dig a hole and just drop the pot down into a hole, 
that would be you know my recommendation just to protect the root system because we have no idea what the winter is going to be like. That's true. Okay. All right, I'll try and do that then. All right, great. Would it, would it do me any good to put them in the basement? Uh, no. No, okay. That's probably going to be more trouble than it's, you know, than it's, it's kind of like trying to bring any kind of hardy, woody plant inside. They don't like it inside, even if it's a cool basement or anything else. Likewise and everything else. Even though they may yeah. not have any foliage, it doesn't matter. They still, it's still important for them to have some, let's say, na- natural environment. Yeah, I got you. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the info. Sure. And now let's head over to Josie's. Josie, how are you? Yeah. Hi, Mike. Question. Um, I have an alien Schuberti, or yeah, it's S-C-H-U-B-E-R-T-I-I bulbs. Uh-huh. And I'm wondering, can I plant any of these in a pot? Uh, sure. And leave it outside? Yeah, I mean, you can. Just make sure that, you know, the pot is fairly large, so they've got a couple inches from where the bulb is to the perimeter or the edge of the pot. Because that, okay. you know, that potting mix will be, you know, an insulator, that which will help. Okay. And, and make sure that wherever you put the pots, that you don't put them underneath the eaves. So, in other words, they need to have moisture. They need to have all that stuff during the wintertime. A lot of times people will... You know, plant them and think they're helping the, you know, helping the bulbs by putting them up close to the house because of the warmth of the house or protection or whatever. But if it's underneath an eave, then the moisture becomes really problematic because it's lack of moisture. Okay. Okay. I was just worried if they would freeze and wouldn't bloom anymore. Yeah, they should. I mean, they may. But uh, if you want to try it, like I've been putting bulbs in pots for a long time. And there's been two or two winters for sure, and maybe three over the year, the t- 25 years or so I've been doing it, where it got so cold that, you know, a lot of the bulbs did freeze. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's trouble. But uh, the other 22 years or whatever, I've enjoyed them. So that's kind of the price you pay sometimes. Okay. Should I mulch the top part of the pot? Uh, you can, yeah. I always do. I always put about, okay. you know, one or two inches of mulch, you know, I use cedar mulch, and, you know, sometimes I use things like we've got a couple pine trees in the park across the street. I go over and pick up pine cones, and I just use the pine cones for a mulch. Oh, okay. That's easy. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Mike. That's all I got. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, or you can head out to St. Louis Composting, and, I mean, they got all kinds of conic compost. Well, we probably should take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Weekday mornings at 11. It's safe. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, remember, get your soil tested. Even if your plant material is doing well, get the soil tested anyway to find out what the levels of all the nutrients are, and it's going to make a big difference. So it's for your plant health and everything else, but it's just from a knowledge standpoint. And you can take your soil samples in, in the metro area. I mean, there's all kinds of places, but you can take them to the Missouri uh, University of Missouri Extension Service in Kirkwood on Monroe. And there's all kinds of laboratories you can send them to all over the place. So get a soil test. Find out what's in your ground, and you're going to be absolutely ast- astonished by the fact that I wonder why this, wonder why that. 
And maybe not. Maybe you'll just find it's just facts that you need to have there just in case. Let's head over to Sally's yard. Hi, Sally. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a two-part question. Um, I uh, asked the tree service to come out and look at my oak trees. And um, what he ended up recommending was a fertilizing system. He didn't call it deep root fertilizing. And he said it would be for all of my trees and shrubs. And I explained to him that I have different types of shrubs in particular some require an alkaline soil and some require an acid soil. And uh, he said that <clears throat> their fertilizer was relatively universal. It was something that they developed themselves. And I said, well, have you ever had uh, customers call you when their uh, shrubs have started yellowing because you applied something that didn't have enough acidity? No, 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 we've never had that. That was... My first question is, is that even reasonable? And my second question is, um, I was doing my own research, and I realized uh, that probably the middle of August or so, certainly <coughs> by the beginning of September, uh, my shrubs, uh, especially those that are flowering, needed to be fertilized for the last time. So I did that. Now, this guy is not uh, planning to come out until sometime in November because of his schedule. And I'm wondering if, <coughs> excuse me, if that's a reasonable time to fertilize some of these shrubs, I'm thinking that it's too late uh, to add yet another round of fertilizer. What's your thought? Well, basically, if this guy was able to develop this product himself or with whoever, I would say have him send you an analysis of what the fertilizer actually is. You know, how uh -huh. much nitrogen, how much phosphorus, what the pH is, everything is in it. And, you know, I would then take that, like, uh, maybe to the botanical garden or take it someplace to a reputable nursery and just have them look at that. But I've never heard of anybody that developed a fertilizer themselves that they're going to use themselves that can be used universally on everything. That just seems kind of interesting. And what about the timing of it? And timing-wise, in November, I mean, it's going to sink into the ground, and that's going to take a while. But it's, you know, hopefully it, the weather and everything won't just drive it past the feeder root systems because the feeder roots on the plant material is in the first few inches of the soil, you know, down to six inches or a little bit more. Even on large trees, the feeder roots are on, I mean, they have the large roots that go down to keep the tree from falling over. But the lateral roots, that's where the feeder roots are. And if the fertilizer they put down in, in November, then there's a lot of snow, a lot of rain, a lot of this, a lot of that. If it drives it past the root system and the root system doesn't grab it as it goes by, then I'm not exactly sure, you know, exactly, again, without knowing what the analysis is. I mean, deep root feeding, that's, you know, what you do in the wintertime, but that's using compost, which just breaks down, helps the soil, and then the nutrients break down. So without knowing what his product was, I would find that out first before I did anything. Okay, so the but the um, the type of feeding, if it's not deep root feeding, it's not going to um, get to the lateral roots. Is that what you're saying? If it's just a surface feeding, yeah, and it, it does go 
Yeah, I don't. If it's granular, if it's powder, do you water it in afterwards? You know, is it liquid? You know, without knowing all those kind of things, it's a little it's a little tough to say. But yeah, it's gonna. The plants are really by November are kind of slowing down as far as even absorption. They're still absorbing moisture and air and things like that. But nutrient wise, there still will be some absorption. But uh, again, without knowing what it is, it's a little tough to say. Okay, so, but but your thought is, um, generally speaking, that plants like hollies and azaleas that need an acid soil, absolutely, and other shrubs like uh, uh, um, lilac, little princess, no, little princess uh, spirea, oh yeah, they need a more alkaline soil. Right, they should not be treated with the same type of fertilizer. Right. Correct. Right. Right, and that's what I'm saying. Without knowing what the fertilizer that they've developed, you know, what the pH of that fertilizer is, that's where the you know where I'm a little bit scared. Yeah. Okay, I think you answered my question. I appreciate your time. Thank sure. you so much. My pleasure. Now let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Hey. Yes, I was wondering. I have mums, and this time of year they're in bloom, but they all lay in the ground because the stems get so long. How can I keep up on them so I don't cut them? With the lawnmower, uh, so they're so they're hanging over the bed spaces. That's what they are. What you needed to do is earlier in the season pinch them back a little bit more to make them more rigid and stiff, so they wouldn't lay over. So the first uh, pinch, the first pinch back is uh, in May. Then you wait two months and then you pinch them back again. And then with the final pinch back, uh, let's say. Eh, late August or so, and then let them go to flowering, set buds after that point. Okay, but start in May and do it every two months. Yeah, every two months or every six weeks is probably a better thing. And then fertilize them, too. They like a lot of fertilizer. Oh, they're doing fine on their own. I guess that's why they grow up and fall down. Right. So they're just elongating too much. And the ones that you see that are really thick and dense and bushy, it's because they've been pinched back multiple times. Oh, okay. They've never been pinched back. They just kind of stem out. Right. So they'll elongate, and that's why they lay over. But start in May. Yeah, let's say mid-May, then like early July, and then early to, you know, mid-late August, something like that. And then nothing, no pinchbacks after that. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Sure. And now let's go to Jason's yard. Hi, Jason. Hello. Yes, go ahead. We've got, uh, yeah, we've got some uh, tree issues. I've got a, about a third of an acre of Fallon, Missouri, so we've got a lot, of, uh, a lot of clay in the soil. Five years ago, I put in a privacy berm. Uh, it all did really well. Um, I did expand my patio last year, uh, but I lost two of my three cypress. I had some cypress uh, site blockers, three of them in a row. They were huge, doing great. Lost two of them. Um, I've got a blue spruce in that berm. It's starting to look on the backside pretty bad. Last year I put in uh, on the other side of the yard uh, a green arborvitae green giant. I put two of them in. One of them looks great. The other one's starting to on the inside. Uh, the branches are turning brown. I, I pulled off all the brown. I've got some other arborvitae on the other side that so I just. Uh, kind of sick to my stomach watching all my trees uh, have pieces of them turn brown and losing them. 
Well, it sounds, sounds like to me that, you know, the berm, it sounds like you've brought in soil to create the berm, but you didn't do anything to the soil that the berm was put on top of. So Correct. the root system wasn't able to migrate down and get anchored into the real soil. So in other words, as soon as it hit the, the classic clay soil, then that kind of caused it some real problems as far as the feeder roots and things like that. Uh, okay, so I've been putting the, the you know evergreen tree spikes in. Should I, is there anything else I can do for those that are left in that soil? No, once they start going downhill, the fertilizing, it's kind of like when you're not feeling well, having a meal is not necessarily something that's going to help you. Okay. And so, yeah. I mean, just, I don't want to say just keep your fingers crossed, but uh, like with the, you know, certain ones, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's a really tough environment out there. And again, I keep emphasizing this, find out what the soil, you know, get the soil tested and find out what's going yeah. on in the ground just in general before you start investing any more money in trees. And that will, you know, sort of send you in a better direction. Okay. Yeah, can do. Thank you. All right, great. Yeah, I mean, instead of like, you know, the green giant arborvitae, maybe think as much as we don't like the cedars, junipers, they're tough and they can handle a lot of our soils, but still get a soil test done. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, as you know, I grow lots of different kinds of summer-type bulbs, cannas, elephant ears, calla lilies. And what I do is so I don't have everything, let's say, you always read stuff that says, well, let the frost nip it, and then you can you know, take it all out. What I do is just take a couple pots in the garage. I yank all the bulbs out of the pots. I let them dry. Then I'm going to be putting them in paper bags. And I just do it a little bit at a time so it's just not, you know, like I don't want to see a yard full of or several pots with stuff that have been frozen or frostbit. I just, I, personally, I don't like that. But that's just one of those crazy things that I think. Feel myself. Let's head over to Alice's yard now. Hi, Alice. Hi, Mike. Hi. I'm a rose nut, and I raise roses under big jars. And last spring, when it was so beautiful, I had every slip came up and bloomed, which I have never had before, Whoa. and they're still blooming. Now, I usually catch whoever calls you and says, when do I cut my roses back? And I always forget if you say one quarter or one half. And I have a rose on the side of my house that is very thick. It has very thick stems, and the thing grows to about nine feet tall. <laughs> and it has stems on it with eight, 10, 12, 15 buds at a time on this plant. So I want to know, should I cut this back half, a third, three quarters and let it start up again or what should I do with it? Well, if you don't mind the height, I'd probably just, you know, cut maybe a third off. That's all a I third. would do. And then, Okay, and downstairs on the back of the condo, we have these long stems that are just immensely long. That's all I can say. Right. They get groups of roses on them that are maybe seven, eight, nine buds and two or three flowers and then they come out with this all this mass of flowers if I don't get them cut. Now, are those 
ever blooming or what do you call them when they grow like that? That's probably a climbing rose. So in other no, words, it isn't. I don't have anything it can climb on. Right. Well, they don't necessarily have to have something to climb on. They just elongate. Oh, really? And the people weave oh. them into trellises or have them on arbors or things like that. So they usually oh. have you know strong enough stems that they don't need necessarily something to be tied to. Okay, well, how far back should I cut those? Uh, I would say probably you could cut them back halfway if you wanted to. Okay. All right. That takes care of my questions. Thank Great. you very much. Yep. Have a good weekend. Yeah, and wait till the foliage, you know, probably mid-November. That's probably when I'd be cutting back my roses. And now let's head over to Mark Chart. Hi, Mark. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Hey, I heard the young man calling earlier this morning on the on moles. And I just want to pass along some something I finally figured out. Uh, we moved out to Baldwin about four years ago, and I never had to deal with moles. But uh, I have found that the scissor traps are best. And what I really figured out this year, um, because I think you mentioned earlier their sense of smell, I, uh, I look for a straight run, and I stamp down about a foot area i place my scissors trap in the middle um get it in there good rock it a little bit and then on either side about a foot on either side of the trap where i didn't uh stamp it down i get a big screwdriver and put about a golf ball size hole so fresh air gets into the tunnel and i guess the mole smells that fresh air coming in and wants to go repair it. And I've been, <laughs> success, I've been successful every time this summer. So I think I finally figured it out, but just wanted to pass that information on to anybody that has trouble with moles. Well, great. Well, thanks. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, nothing is you know, better than practical experience. So thanks, Mark. So, and yeah. let's head over to Joe's yard. Joe, can you do it quickly? <laughs> yes. Briefly, I have, um, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, the wild violets crazy in my front yard right. around my hostas and stuff. What, what do I do? Uh, I mean, there's a couple different products. I'd head to your favorite garden center and tell them you got the violets because there are, you know, a couple products that will target, you know, the violets. But uh, that is if you don't want to really dig them yourself. I'm, I'm still digging mine. And uh, it's just, you know, they're incredible. And you, what you can do is try a broadleaf, weaken them with a broadleaf weed killer, too, like a weed be gone. But this late in the season, it's not going to be very effective. So uh, go to your favorite garden center and tell them you got the violets. And, they, you know, whatever product they have that lists violets on the label, that's what I would use. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. And then, Kathy, if you can do it even quicker. Uh, yes, Mike. I have some grass seed that was planted just three weeks ago. I've been watering it every day. It's up. It looks good. But when can I quit watering it? Basically now. The first two to three weeks is all you need to water. Okay, great. All right. Thanks a million. Sure. My pleasure. And for, you know, speaking of lawns, keep mowing your lawn. I, never do I ever remember cutting my zoysia grass this late in the season, but I cut mine last Wednesday. So as long as it's growing and elongating, you cut it. Now, 
I do not, I don't go along with that philosophy. That doesn't mean that I know more than anybody else. But they, you know, continually say with each cut you should cut it shorter and shorter and shorter. With a final cut, you know, leaving the blade only like an inch and a half or two inches at the most. That's a little bit short for me. So I let my zoysia through the winter time, even though it turns brown and everything. I my final cut is leaving the blades at like three inches, and I just think that's you know, pr- protects a crown a little bit more. Two inches just seems a little bit, uh, you know, or an inch and a half, just a little bit short for me. I just worry about that. And other things that you need to be thinking about with your lawn, oh, just enjoy it, especially if you've got a cool season lawn. I bet it looks spectacular this time of year. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.